I think we're ready. Um, let me give people a few minutes to settle in and get in and get, um, get out of their cars. Uh, we do have a little bit of uh, material to cover here, so I do want to get into it. Um, it's good to see you all. Uh, we are back in our Sunday School uh, series through Genesis. Um, we're looking at day three today. and So uh, let's start with uh, prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Lord's Day, the day in which Jesus was raised from the dead and ushered in a new creation. We thank you a new, that a new age has dawned with the coming of Jesus Christ and that uh, the first day of the week, we as your people get to celebrate and acknowledge this fact and to rest and to find rest in the Lord. So Father, we do pray that you would bless us as we uh, go through uh, this account of day three of creation in Genesis uh, give us your wisdom, give us humility as we approach the text, and uh, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, all right, so uh, we are on day three, this, which begins in verse nine. It says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. All right, so we see here a reference to the waters under the heavens. Now, this connects what is happening here on day three with the previous uh, day. If you remember on day two, God created the expanse, the heavens that separated the waters from above and the waters um, below. The separation designates what is above and what is below. Somebody asked the question, why did, why did God uh, create in this way by separating, by dividing? Um, I think one of the answers to that question is, at least for the heavens, uh, the heavens, is that the heavens are above and we are below. And so it makes us think about, as Christians, as God who is above. Um, or at least even as men and women created in the image of God, we're called to think about the Lord who is in heaven above while we are on earth. And so uh, the waters under the heavens here, again, connects what is happening on day three with uh, day two. He made the heavens above, and now he's forming and making a, the earth habitable for man and for creatures here in, and for other uh, living things uh, in day three. Uh, this is the day on which uh, God, by his word, put boundaries around the waters below the heaven, right? So we think about the seas and the oceans, uh, the other um, bodies of water that are below, below the heavens, below um, the waters above, the clouds. The earth was without form and void, and so the spirit and the word had not yet decorated this house, right? So this is our home temporarily, was supposed to be the home for man, and the spirit is hovering over the waters, and now he begins to uh, decorate the house on day, on day three. By the power of God's word, the oceans and the seas, we are told, congregate together. They are gathered together like a congregation uh, into seas and oceans. Now, this happened either by the receding of the waters or by the rising of the earth, right? Uh, Either the mountains rose up and the sea 
or the sea went down, the waters went down, or maybe both happened. We don't know, but all we're told here is that God said, let dry land appear, and it was so. Uh, You might think about Job uh, 38. Job uh, talks a lot about the original creation and what happened um, in the creation week and what God did uh, at creation. Uh, God says this to Job. He says, dress for action like a man. I will question you. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Right? Day three. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Where were you? You weren't there, Job, right? And so uh, the point in that context was Job needed to be quiet before God. Um, you might think about Psalm 104. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might, so that they might not again cover the earth. And so when you think about this, the Rocky Mountains, Appalachians, the Andes, the Himalayas, where Mount Everest is, this is where those formations happen. The great seemingly immovable mountains that rise high into the heaven came into being by the word of God. So also the oceans, the vast oceans and seas uh, that make us feel so small when we face their awesome power and breadth. Some of you, some of us, many of us, maybe all of us have been to the coast, right? To a beach to see the ocean. Uh, What happens when you get to the beach? You immediately feel very small, do you not? You're overwhelmed by the vastness of the ocean, at least I am. Um, What's happening there? Well, I think uh, uh, Gerhardus Varus has a good word here about this. Um, He's a Reformed theologian who taught at Princeton Seminary. He says this, The grand poetry of the sea in its distinctiveness is willed by God. It shows us the eternal majesty and self-sufficiency of the Lord. That is why seeing the sea has a calming influence. In the presence of this picture of the sublimity and infiniteness of God, one feels lifted above all petty cares and thoughts and loses himself in the sovereign will of God. Why do you feel that way? Or at least Christians should feel that way, right? It's because you see the power of God's word and you immediately feel small. I know uh, me and my family went to the uh, beach uh, not uh, last summer and uh, Kylie and I had this discussion about the ocean, you just, it calms you down uh, to be in front of it. It makes you realize how vast God is and how powerful he is. Um, now, so God uh, congregated the waters. He made the dry land appear. Uh, we're also reminded here, though, of the great flood waters, right? The flood waters that covered the whole earth. Um, if you think about the flood waters, even unbelieving paleontologists who study the earth are faced with evidence in the geography that there was some type of worldwide catastrophe. And they look at the evidence and come up with all sorts of interpretations of that. Evolutionists also 
include theories about great floods and their uh, views about the world. It's only by God's mercy and the power of his word that these waters are held back. That's, that's what we should think about here. He congregates the waters. Later on, when man became incredibly wicked, he let the, those boundaries go from above and below, and everything was destroyed except for those who were in the ark. Um, what's holding the waters back today? God's word. It's only by his mercy that we are, even have the blessings, the uh, temporal blessings that we have uh, today. Now, of course, God promised uh, that he wouldn't flood the earth again, and so we don't have to worry about that because of his promise, because of his word, and he's given us the sign of the rainbow uh, associated with that promise. Nevertheless, the waters are held back by his word. Um, uh, the psalmist, if you look at the psalms, they associate the waters or uh, the flowing of waters with God's wrath. You might think about Psalm 88. He says, your wrath lays heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Right? That's what happened in the floodwaters. It's the waves of God's wrath. Right? And so, now of course, Jesus, when he was crucified, those uh, those waves washed over him, and that's ultimately what that psalm is about. Uh, but this is what we should think about as Christians when we think about the waters, the vastness of God, his power, also his mercy, his, his never-ending mercy. So I'll stop there for a minute. Any thoughts or questions on that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Shah brings out the point that in Exodus 14 that we see, um, or at least we're reminded of the creative power of God that's at work here in Genesis 1 when we go to Exodus 14 and we think about this, the parting of the Red Sea, right? Um, and the Spirit is present there in the parting of the Red Sea in the form of a pillar of fire uh, by night and a pillar of cloud by day. So yeah, that's, a, that's exactly where you, your mind should go when we think about these things. Very good. Anything else? Okay, let's keep going. Um, uh, let's see, where are we? Okay, so look, notice how, um, notice how uh, the land and the waters are fully interpreted by God himself, right? He calls the waters seas. He calls the dry land earth. His word interprets or gives the proper interpretation of what these created materials uh, are. And so you think about science, which is prominent today, or the work of scientists. They don't come to geographical figures and rocks and pebbles and stones that are neutral. They're, un they're uninterpreted, as if they're just blank slates and they've got to show up and tell us what it means and where they came from. That's not at all what they're dealing with. Before they ever pick up a rock or a pebble, God has told us it's what these things are and where they came from, right? And so it, 
all of heaven and earth is fully interpreted by God and by his word. Um, let's see, where else can we go here? Uh, notice also that God called uh, this, uh, the seas and the dry land good. Um, this is a good dwelling place for Adam and Eve. This is a good home for them. It was a good place. Um, now, when we think about the you know, earthquakes and storms and floodwaters and whatever, what have you, that take the lives of people, why are they there? Well, it's not ultimately because nature is bad or nature is inherently violent. That's what uh, evolutionists will, will often talk about is the violence in, in nature, and it's just inherent uh, in, in what we see. Now, people die from earthquakes and floods because of the sin of man, right? This is a good home. He separated the seas, or he collected the seas, and he made the earth sprout up, and he calls it good. It was a good home. It was supposed to be a good home for Adam and Eve. Um, and so we'll get, to, we'll get to what Adam did with that home uh, later, of course. But um, So again, to, to Shara's point, it's a judgment of God against sin that this good creation turns against us. The waters of the Red Sea, think about the waters of the Red Sea that drowned the Egyptians. The earth that swallowed up uh, people in the Old Testament. You think about Korah who led a rebellion against Moses. What happened to him and his followers? The earth swallowed him up. Why does that happen? Because of the sin of man. And so this is a good home uh, at this point uh, that we're dealing with. Okay, yeah, Jeff. That's a good point. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. 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 Good point. Excellent point. That's a. a Great point to bring out. So Jeff brings out the point that when, uh, you know, over and over again, when God uh, determines that this um, that this world that He's created is good, He's not uh, He's not comparing the earth and the heavens to some standard of good that's out there somewhere, and then says, based on that standard, this is good. Right? He is goodness. He's eternal goodness. He determines what is good, and so the the determination that something is good comes from God, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, uh, yeah, great point. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, great point. Um, 
So yeah, this we can think about later when uh, after man sins, after Adam sins and all those after him, uh, the Bible talks about how no one is good, right? No man is good. Um, no one seeks after God. And um, of course, the standard again is God himself when we, when we think about those things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, very good. Anything else? Okay, yeah, Savior. Excellent point. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, there's another, that's an excellent point, Xavier. So there's another uh, element to the goodness, right? It's good in the sense that uh, God declares that it's good. It's, it's orderly. It's beautiful. Uh, but there's a purpose, right? There's a purpose to the earth. There's a purpose to what is happening here. And that is part of its, its goodness, um, that God has a purpose for these things. One of the, the main purposes is that this will be a dwelling place for man, right? That's where we're headed. Uh, this isn't, God's not doing this just to, just to do it. Uh, he's, he's preparing a place for, for man, made in the image of God. And so we'll talk about that more as we get to the creation of Adam. But yeah, great point. Okay, good. Well, let's keep going. Um, let the earth, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Okay, so if you look at this, we're once again reminded of the sovereign power of God's word. We see it in that the effect of God's word in the world mirrors what he says, right? God speaks, and then what happens in the world? Exactly what he says uh, what he had just said. So he says, let the earth sprout vegetation. What happens? The earth brought forth vegetation. Uh, grass, vegetables, garden. You might think about garden variety. Vegetables um, are included here. All kinds of trees come into being by the power of the word of God. Now this act on day three, it anticipates the provision of plants uh, for the animals and all the fruit trees for man to consume. So this is food for the the next stage of life forms that uh, God will make uh, throughout the rest um, of the week. The arrival of the fruit trees, though, also anticipates the probation tree, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And so again, to Xavier's point, the reason, part of the reason why this is good is that this, uh, this place is going to become a dwelling place for man. It's a place in which man is to dwell and to multiply and to fill. Uh, and so this is, um, this is where we're headed. Again, these, these, fruit trees, um, uh, these fruit trees anticipate that. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. God is revealed here on day three as the original master gardener. If you look at other places in scripture, he's, he's talked about in this way. Verse, or Psalm 80 
This is, the psalmist is talking about God. He says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. And so that verse is talking about Israel as a kind of garden that God planted. But he is the master gardener. He plants seeds. He causes them to grow. He is the original uh, master gardener. Now notice here too that this takes place after the spirit was hovering over the, the land mass, over the, the, the water and land mass. And most likely the spirit there then was planting seeds and tilling the ground, preparing this place for these, uh, for these, um, these vegetables and these trees. Um, and so again, uh, God is the master gardener. Now, uh, one of the things too, uh, we should notice is that God did this in his wisdom and his power without the sun. The sun has not yet been made, right? Uh, ever since the creation week, uh, God has chosen to bring forth food and flowers from the ground. How? By way of the interaction with the sun and the water that falls to the ground. We, we would call those secondary causes, right? God, and we are told in his word that God causes grass to grow. He causes flowers to grow. He causes vegetables to grow, the trees. But he does it normally through secondary causes, right? So the rain comes down, and then um, the vegetables and the trees uh, come, come up. But in the beginning, he did this without the sun. Um, and so again, we're reminded of God's uh, power. Now, if you think about this, wine and bread come from these plants that are being planted here, that are being caused to grow. Now, wine and bread, they normally go through a long process of planting seed and waiting for the grain. But what happened uh, when Jesus uh, was faced with a crowd that was hungry and they only had a few loaves? Well, he brought into being enough loaves of bread to feed the entire group, to feed 5,000 people and then 4,000 people, right? He turned water into wine. And so the normal processes by which wine, grapes, and grain come from the ground were either bypassed or accelerated when Jesus uh, did those things. And so again, we're, uh, we're reminded of the power of, of Christ and his word. He is the creator God. He's the original he is the original master gardener. Right? He is the one who plants seeds and causes them uh, to grow. Uh, we've got just a couple more things. Um, I'll stop there for a minute. Everybody tracking so far? Any thoughts or questions? What do you think? Uh, Carolyn, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Good point. So, yeah. He created this <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point, Carolyn. So Carolyn brings out the point about 
um, the fact that God created this earth, this dwelling place for man, and no other. We're not given a, an account of another place, right? Whereas science will claim differently, right? Science, uh, astronomers um, in particular, astronomers and astrologers, they shoot rockets out into space, into the heavens, with the notion that there might be life out there, that there might be a habitable, 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 habitable planet, right? Mars being a possibility. Um, and the God's word tells us that those, those expeditions, you know, um, have you seen, have you guys seen the, the, I've seen this, but have you seen the t-shirts that people are wearing these days? It says, uh, Occupy Mars. It's, I guess they're Elon Musk t-shirts, right? Elon Musk is sending or tries to send rockets into space. One blew up already. Um, they're going to continue to do it. There's actually a couple different companies that send rockets into space. And so um, people are doing it. And what I see in God's word is that those exercises, for the most part, are entirely futile. They're just about a total waste of time <laughs> to try to send people into space and to really to sacrifice people's lives to send them into space because people blow up in those rockets. Um, God's word shows us here there's nothing out there except more stars, right? This is the home that he made for us. Um, this, is, um, this is where we were to live and to worship and to be with him. Yeah, Han. Yeah, I just want to point out that uh, you only see, you know, see a lot of disciples. Jesus is just talking about little people wanting other friends if they're raised on God. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So Han brings out the point that uh, we see here that God, uh, God tells us by his word that earth, he made the earth out of water. In the beginning, he made water and made all things from water. And so the pursuit of water, which is what you need uh, for life, they, they'll all admit that. You need uh, bodies of water. You need the presence of water on Mars or Venus or wherever you want to go in order for there to be life, um, again, I, I think it's a futile exercise. I think that's what Han is um, uh, agreeing with, too. So, you know, you know uh, I, I don't think all of their work, obviously, is, you know, all of their work is not necessarily uh, a waste of time or, or, or futile. Um, actually, one of our pastors in our presbytery used to work for NASA. So I've, as I was studying this, I've been wanting to talk to him. I'll see him pretty soon. Um, so certainly, probably not all of the, what they do is, um, is without some you know, purpose, some good effect. Um, but if they're going out there with the idea that 
perhaps we can find another home or another more evidence of life, that is a waste of time. <laughs> and, um, and people's lives are being put on the line to do that. So, but the pictures are pretty, I guess, you know? Yeah, the stars. Yeah, Jeff. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So yeah, Jeff brings out the point that um, there's this constant desire to find something in the heavens or even within our own bodies in the, in the universe of our cells uh, in biology. There's this um, uh, driving desire to find something else besides the God of Genesis 1, right? Something else. Certainly certainly there has to be a different truth because we can't accept what is said here because if we do, we owe this God worship, right? So, yeah. Good point. Han? So when we get to Adam and the curse uh, uh, resulting from his sin, God says, from the dust you were taken and to the dust you will return, right? And so um, that prevents man from being able to leave this place, leave this earth. He's destined to return uh, to the dust from which he's, uh, from which he's made. Um, but I will say that uh, science fiction movies and books about space are, are quite fun. I do like those. So, um, so please, keep whoever you are, keep writing those and making those. I, I do enjoy those. Um, uh, nevertheless, uh, I think what this does is it should keep us as followers of God, keep us content, right, with where we are and what we've been called to do on this earth, right? You see that lack of content in the drive behind these astronomers and biologists and evolutionists. Um, for us, as followers of Christ, we're happy here, right, for the time being. There's got a better place coming, but um, we're thankful for what we're given here. Okay, uh, the last thing here I wanted to mention is that uh, God, uh, God's word determines species or kinds, okay? Um, the prevalent theory out there in science today is the evolutionary theory, a theory of evolution. And what that theory posits is that complex organisms like us, like the plants, like the sun, must come from simpler organisms, right? And so you'll see in their writings, um, they'll say, 
you know, God can't, he, there's no way he, he can have created these things because um, who made God, right? Uh, certainly God is a complex being. Um, where's the simpler organism from which God came? You see, they're, they're already thinking complex organisms come from simplicity, simpler and simpler and simpler organisms. Um, but that's not the case. And on day three, we see that God is Yahweh. He is I am. He always was and he always will be. And he brings into being things that reflect his glory, things that reflect his uh, infinite wisdom, his infinite uh, beauty. And so the complex beauty and order in plants and in trees is but a reflection of that eternal beauty. It's a reflection of the eternal beauty and the order in God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he determines what is what, right? Each according to their kinds. His word teaches us and tells us what is what. And it makes sense, does it not? That, you know, you can go to a rose bush and see that it's a rose bush and there's aren't, it's not something else, right? That's because of God's word. Um, evolutionists, of course, will come up with all types of complex um, complex trees and graphs and separations of species and different kinds and um, not all of them are, are based upon uh, the word of God but God determines species he determines kinds he is the one who interprets what we see in the world um, last thing to mention here is that uh, um, amazingly as we think about the arrival of you know rose bushes and violets and fruit trees and all this beauty and, and a lush food that comes up from the ground on day three. Uh, the Lord uses imagery drawn from vegetation, drawn from plants and trees to describe the way in which he makes us beautiful, right? He uses this to describe the, what he does in us. This is Hosea 14. He says, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. They shall blossom like the vine. That's you. That's you and I. We are, we are God's flowers. We are God's lilies. We are his fruit trees. He makes us grow. He makes us beautiful. He makes us productive. That's because of his word that he does this. And again, um, we see that God's work of the third day was complete, and there was evening and there was morning uh, the third day. Any thoughts or final questions or thoughts on that? Yes, Scott. <laughs> Not, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you're saying you agree with uh, Skeleto and Nacho Libre? What's his name? Skeleto. 
That's his name, Scalito. It's Scalito and Nacho Libre. He says, I believe in science, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, certainly, and that was unintentional, Scott. Um, yeah, so again, just to be clear, uh, we do have Christian brothers and sisters who labor in these fields, biology, uh, astronomy, um, study of the heavens, uh, and other fields, study of our bodies, and we certainly don't want to discount what they do um, uh, and the work that they do. Um, but much of it, uh, from the unbelieving, uh, at least portion, um, is either wrong in their interpretation or they're wrong in, in uh, what they're after. And so we, we just we want to have, a healthy, have to have a healthy balance. And we'll talk about this some more when we think about science in general. Um, we want to have a healthy balance. Uh, you know, we don't want to swallow it wholesale, but we also want to, don't want to reject all of it wholesale, I don't think. I think we need to find a, a middle ground. Yeah, Carolyn. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Some of our best scientific discoveries and, and progression have come from a result of, of Christians, of believers, and, and you know, endeavoring in, in scientific fields and discovery. Um, and really, they're, they're, they're most fit to do so, right? They're, they're the most fit to do these things because they have the proper interpretation. Okay, let's, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the heavens and the earth and for the seas and the oceans and for your mighty power that is revealed in uh, these great bodies of water and the great uh, mountain ranges that remind us of your sovereign power. And, um, Father, we, we do thank you for um, what you've given us here in terms of our food and our daily sustenance. We do pray, Father, that you wouldn't make us like the lily and like the olive trees in terms of our Christian obedience. Uh, cause us to blossom and to grow, to bring you glory. And uh, Father, continue to be with us as we um, consider these weighty matters and often complex matters that are given to us in uh, Genesis 1. Father, prepare our hearts now for worship, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.